Just a friendly reminder that the opinions expressed on this show are not worth a Canadian penny, so disregard anything you hear that might get anyone in trouble. And despite some of the great ideas you may hear, don't try them at home. Go to friend's house instead. Oh, yeah, we're live. Yeah. Oh, we're live. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, welcome to Slamfire Radio, episode 318, Three Gun Rule Sets in Canada for August 22nd, 2019. Uh, what you're we did with our, guns. You're one of our hosts. <clears throat> no, I'm one of our hosts, Random Dave. And I'm and one, and I'm one, Adriel. I'm, you know, I can't even say this is my first day. No, no, you can't. It, it's my first day with a camera, though. It is, and so now everyone can see you. I was thinking, like, man, I got to get you to change like your background <laughs> to like the Slamfire Radio logo or something like that. But this is better. This is way better. I, I tried changing it to a guy with a bag on his head with a gun, but I couldn't actually figure out how to change it. So I don't know. My Google fool has failed me. Well, I didn't actually care that much, so I didn't bother trying. But I thought about it. <laughs> I don't know if that counts or not. <laughs> it does. It does. <laughs> All right. Well. Let's go on with it. Uh, what we did with gun, what we did with guns. That was what we did in guns. Okay, what we did with guns this week. Brought to you by the Calgary Shooting Center, Canada's premier firearms retailer. Right now, they've got the blacked out Glock 48 in America Glow, Amera Glow, and Contrast. Cute it's picture. blacked. Yeah, it's, it's black. So instead <laughs> of having, because they've all had that stainless steel top, right? The the slide on it's always been that shiny. I think they're, the black ones are stainless st- steel as well, but they've got that coating on them so that they're not so shiny, blingy. Weird. Yeah. Yeah, because that one upsets me because every time I use the you know little joke about get rid of that nickel-plated sissy pistol and get yourself a Glock, and guys are like, hey, guess what I got? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> ruins my joke. <laughs> well, your joke can come back in now because they've got the black version. Yes. Excellent. Uh, what else we got? Adriel. Yes. What'd you do with guns? All right, let's uh, let's go through a couple. Um, I, ta- I, ta- I talked to this guy a while ago about my BCL 102, so I put it up for sale on CGN. And, uh, and there's this guy who's like, hey, I, I've been making M1s. I uh, get braider receivers, new barrel, new wood, and, and build these M1s. Do you want to trade an M1 in 308 for your BCL 102? And I'm like, yeah, that sounds fun. Hell yeah. Yeah, get back into uh, get back into a Garand. Because I've had Garands before, most of them in, in 30 out 6, so a 308 would be cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot cheaper. Yeah, a lot cheaper. I got a bunch of 308 anyways, so cool. Yeah, I think, I mean, if it gets here, it's supposed to be here tomorrow, so maybe I'll use that for hunting season this year. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah, I'm shooting right here with a Garand. Every German dares. Yeah, yeah. I think now in Alberta here, we're limited to five rounds in the mag for hunting, so I'll have to do the five-round end block trick. Dave, do you know where I can find end blocks online in Canada? I haven't looked for any in a long time. I'm sure somebody listening could probably tell you. Maybe Marstar? Marstar would probably have them. Maybe. If any of your listeners know, let me know on the side chat on YouTube there, and uh, I would love to pick like a whole pile of them up, because I got a whole pile of 308 ammo. I got a whole pile of... Uh, uh, mill syrup stuff for it, so yeah, I want to try some of that. I would, uh, I would definitely check. Um, yeah, Marstar. Marstar. I bet. I would bet you. I would bet you money that Marstar has them. Cool, because they have like all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think you can, I think you can get five round end block clips. 
Yes, you can, or you can just make them. I've made them in the past. Yeah, you just crank them down a bit. Uh, I sold a Canuck shotgun, so I got one of the Canuck regulator defenders, that one with the bird's head uh, pistol grip and the full stock. And uh, I got it because it was cheap and I wanted to review it, and I did that, and I sold it as as everything that you never dreamed. You know, uh, when you compare, like, it's kind of like a a watermark as to where we're at right now in in firearms industry here in Canada. Because if you rewind the clock 15 years or 20 years and you say, hey, do you want to buy a $200 shotgun that comes with two different stocks on it and interchangeable chokes? Everyone would have jumped over that. Because shotguns, like, just did not cost, they cost a lot more than that in the past, right? And, uh, now they don't. Now, if you if you want like a fourteen inch barreled shotgun with chokes and a couple of stock options and that kind of thing, you can go on it for two hundred bucks. It's uh, it's right. it's a really and it will work. It's not. Yeah. Is it's that not, are those are those Turkish yes. manufacturers? Yeah, absolutely. Seeing so much so much Turkish stuff out lately. We had a guy uh, Andrew D. Mm-hmm. Uh, comes out to our our CQB matches and our plinking matches, and he br- brings out this. He always brings out. I don't know. He always picks up these Turkish shotguns because they're cheap. Mm-hmm. And he wanted a Beretta, but Beretta is money. Mm-hmm. So he bought one of those Turkish Beretta knockoffs. I can't remember what the model is on it. Oh, yeah, that one that looks like the uh, M4, right? Yeah. Yeah. It It's pretty awesome. Like, it doesn't... He's going to have to change springs to get it to work with light ammunition. Like, his uh, his low-recoil uh, two-and-three-quarter slugs just, just doesn't cycle it mm-hmm. properly. But everything else cycles it, and it's pretty awesome. I mean, it's a nice little shotgun for the price. I think it was, like... 400 500 bucks somewhere in there like dirt dirt six, cheap 650 six, 600 somewhere somewhere around there yeah but okay. still fantastic like when you consider that the uh uh the real deal is a lot more than that trevor yeah. was saying you really like that shotgun too yeah he was out playing with it and i checked it out you know it needs it's a little needs a little smoothing but you know for what it is hell it's awesome i mean it does the mm-hmm. you know five rounds in the air trick same as the uh same as the benelli and that's pretty awesome Yep. Yeah, lots of uh, lots of good stuff out these days. Uh, and then I've been cranking out a bunch of reviews. So I got a review on the Aimpoint Pro, which is like a, a Aimpoint Red Dot. They're one of their more inexpensive ones, which in the grand scheme of things is not an inexpensive Red Dot, but it's inexpensive for Aimpoint. Uh, I did the Vortex Spark AR versus Spark 1. I did the ISSC SPA, which is like a straight pull uh, toggle link 22. And there are not a lot of reviews on that thing out there. Not a lot at all. There was one of those at the uh, at the Maple Seed in Drumheller. It was interesting. Yeah, there's uh, they're a really interesting toggle bolt design. Um, they're very fast to actuate, um, and there is no there are no full reviews online for this thing. So I I think I've got like the most comprehensive review right now online. Uh, which is uh, easy to say because there aren't any comprehensive <laughs> reviews. On the that. only comprehensive, your only source for information, the hunting gear guy. Uh, yeah, I mean that's that's actually what I like to do. Not because I like the views or I like being the only one out there, but I like that uh, in the in the in the past there was nothing. <laughs> there was no information. Now there's information. So if someone yeah. buys one of these things. Uh, they can Google it and they can find a little bit of information about it and maybe learn something that they didn't know about their rifle and, uh, you know, learn a bit about it. Yeah, uh, cool. Let's see, what else have I been doing? I put out a video on making your own apple seed or maple seed slings. So how to 
crank out some of these. And I've been cranking these things out as well. I've, I'm up to, like, I've got about 40 or 50 done of them. Wow. This, like, not for me. For This is going to be, like, loners for a cross-country kind of thing. So, yeah. they're really cool. They're actually, like, really quick to make, be, too. You know, unless you unless you got a lot of rifles. <laughs> you know, the funny thing is, I've got, uh, I've probably got 10 slings or had 10 slings before. Just a variety of, uh, of, of different rifle slings for hunting and that kind of thing. But now I have a whole pile of these maple seed slings. Uh, and then I built a new rifle, which, I mean, you could use it for maple seed, I guess. Uh, but it's uh, it's this little guy here. <laughs> so for our listeners, I'm holding up... Uh, the one that Trevor hates, on. Huh? The one that Trevor hates. And a couple of people have told me they don't like it for a couple of different reasons. But I don't care, because I do. <laughs> it's uh, it's an, an 8.5-inch barrel AR-15, uh, mostly in white. So the reason why I went with white... The upper and lower and grip were already white from when I had this AR, and I painted it, I think, eight years ago or something like that. Uh, so those those parts were already white, and I was like, ah, I may as well just make the rest of it match. So uh, I painted the stock and the forend and whatnot. The barrels were at SFRC. They were, I think I paid like 125 bucks after discount for the barrel, and Damn. that was free, and that I already had. So really, like this was taking a, a rifle that wasn't doing anything, and uh, I'm making a shorty rifle for nothing. This is just a standard, uh, like, mil-spec carbine stock on the back. Uh, this is a Michelic break I had hanging around. This end is just one of the cheap AliExpress ones that I chopped. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you could probably tell, right? Because it's like there's still some half loops over here. And that front little picatinny yeah. little bit is just, like, not looking quite looks, right. Looks but, like you took a chop saw to it. <laughs> and that's what I did, yeah. I saw. I, I sanded it afterwards. Get the get those edges down, so it's not going to cut anyone. But uh, I also did the gas block because you can kind of see it from the front there, and I wanted it to kind of show off and look a little bit different. So I don't know if paint will stick on a gas block or a muzzle brake when they get hot, but I will find out. I think it'll burn off. I think it'll get like depends on the paint. What paint did you use? You rattle can it, or did you use like um, rattle can. like an enamel? No, oh, yeah, rattle probably. can. Rattle can. I wanted this I to uh, reflect how uh, chintzy the, <laughs> the build was. <laughs> but, it's really chintzy considering there's no cocking handle on it. <laughs> yeah, I need one of those. I got a, a buddy of mine has one for me, and I just got to go over to his place and grab one. But it's got a bolt in there. So, it's got a BCG. So chintzy, you got to get a screwdriver into the bolt to cock it. <laughs> well, you just got to do that once. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> just show up to the match with it cocked, with the bolt back, and then you're good to go. <laughs> <laughs> it's very uh you gotta like shave down the weight on this thing um the other like the the weight on this thing's fantastic it's so uh compact and pointable i have a i have a hand stop coming for it that's uh, it's gonna fit on the bottom here part of my thought around uh around wh- where i was gonna cut this forend was i wanted it as short as possible like i could have went forend all the way to the end or further and blown up my, my handguard like I've seen done before but uh, I wanted to go as short as possible to kind of exaggerate the smallness of this thing because I think with a nice short handguard it just looks like it's super tiny and it is it's <laughs> a cool handgun yeah I you could you could shoot this as a handgun like when it when uh, when they had the the RIA handguns I'm like man you, you couldn't actually shoot one of these things as a handgun totally could totally could you, I can hold it up can, no problem you? Yeah, I don't know. If you're I, I in never the US, understood that. 
I'm going to post some pictures of this on Reddit, on some American subreddits, and trigger some people because they'll be like, where's your tax stamp? <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't need a tax stamp. I'm in Canada. How much can your bank well, hold? I can't oh, have five or five. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Where's your suppressor, huh? Yeah, yeah. I can't have one of those either. No freedom. But uh, I really like how it feels. I really like how, like, compact and with a red dot on there, it's gonna be. It's gonna be so much fun at the range. This is gonna be yeah, a ton of fun it. to just like blast with. I might, depending on whether it runs or not, because uh, uh, these pistol length uh, gas systems can be a little bit uh, cantankerous. Uh, if it runs, I may try shooting it at a three-gun match, as long as it's not, like, long range. If it's 100 meters in, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this guy. <laughs> yeah, well, we've, we've had guys come out to matches and shoot 500 yards with 10-inch barrels and actually do quite well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not optimum, but you can do it. So, I mean, out to at least a couple hundred gar- yards, you're just shooting IPSEC targets. Oh, I would fun. do two or 300, but once it gets to, like, four, like, the the... Uh, velocity yeah. differences is, is going to be real, but yeah. uh, I mean, I could shoot a, a maple seed with it. I could just, you know, take uh, take one of these slings here and hook that on the front and uh, hook it on the back there. There we go. It's a maple seed rifle now. See, bet you, you didn't know it was a maple seed just rifle. Need, just need to borrow a helmet off, filthy, and away you go. Yeah, could you imagine like how rude that would be right <laughs> right next to people shooting an eight and a half inch barreled rifle? <laughs> gonna have flames coming out the side it's gonna be sweet yeah i do like seeing those fired at night the big fireball yeah yeah it's fun and and some people say that they're loud i find the 10 and 12 inch barrels louder than the eights and the sevens i think it's like they just they burn more of the powder outside of the gun they're not at full peak pressure you know yeah i think depends on the brake you have on it as well yes this is a pretty this would be a pretty loud brake it's yeah yeah but uh well should be interesting and i've got a bunch of other reviews that i got to do uh issc mk22 the ruger pcc magneto speed labrador gsg mp40 and 22 half of those are done i just need to edit and post and whatnot i've been getting about one every two days or so so picking away at them nice yeah it's kind of fun a lot of 22 a lot of 22 action which i kind of like kind of like doing a lot of the 22 stuff I mean the well, and there's a lot more that's different between them. Like I've reviewed almost all the popular bolt action hunting rifles, and the differences between them are so small. And like people complain on my videos, why are you focusing on such a small thing as the safety is loud when there's everything else? It's like because everything else is the same. They're all accurate. They're all reliable. They all do the same thing. So I need to like focus on small little things like finishes and you know that kind of thing. So it's kind of nice to move over to twenty twos where it's like, oh my god, this the magazine on this one like works amazingly, or the uh, you know the uh, bolt action on this one is kind of crappy or whatever, right? So a lot more yeah. to talk about, a lot more interesting. Yep, yeah. that makes sense. I mean, big bolt action rifles are pretty mature. It's not that often that you're going to see something like this goes, whoa, this is amazingly different. Yeah. Yeah, I mean all the all the budget bolt action hunting rifles these days uh, come with an okay trigger, so the trigger is no longer a differentiator. They come with a synthetic stock. They come with a a free float uh, a stock barrel setup. They've got like a detachable mag that is probably okay. I don't know, even that is like that used to be something that was a little bit crappier five or ten years ago, but that's something that's gotten better even recently. Here, the Savage Axis magazine is no longer 
as terrible as, as it was before. And some of the other ones have improved as well. So <laughs> no longer as terrible as it was. I like that. Well, it had like this bent plastic piece, which worked, but was like real chintzy feeling. And they replaced oh, okay. it with this plunging plastic piece, which feels a lot better, feels a lot better, looks a lot better. And uh, yeah, it's a, like just a small thing like that makes a really big difference in the feel of the magazine. Again, then now, now I'm talking about like magazine feel. Like who? Like a most to most people, they shouldn't care, right? You go hunting with that one versus another one; it doesn't make a difference. But I don't know. Got to talk about these little differences. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, build quality is important. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it is. Unless like you're you're on <laughs> you're on my Remington 770 review, and then all of a sudden it doesn't it doesn't matter. And you know, as long as it shoots deer, it's fine. <laughs> I mean, if that's your goal, then yeah, any any rifle really could could make meet that. <laughs> yeah, the guy that uh, the guy that came out with us hunting this year, he shot three deer and he had a uh, an Axis and thirty eight out six, four hundred dollar gun. Yeah, does, does, <laughs> doesn't matter. Just fine. Yeah. yeah yep. Again, that's a, that's another good example that Axis uh, rewind fifteen years ago, and you would have been lucky to get something for four hundred dollars. Uh, and I mean, like, yeah. The, the cost uh, to salary ratio for guns these days is fantastic. People can actually afford to get p- proper guns for what they need uh, to do. And uh, you don't have to roll around with a Milserp hunting if, if you don't want to, right? You don't have to just roll around with a Sporter 303. You can get a Savage Axis or whatever, and uh, that'll be a better hunting rifle for deer and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and by the time you buy a Melserp, drill and tap it for a scope, you're probably not that far off ooh, buying yeah, yeah. axes if you're off it at all. Yeah, yeah. And then how good how good is that scope mount and the cheek rest and all that other kind of stuff that you got to get going? Yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah that's about uh, it for me. What about you, Dave? I still haven't put my uh, still haven't put my shadow together. I've still got your hammer <laughs> that you sold me sitting on my desk because I've been busy. I've been. I've got like four part-time jobs and a full-time job. So I've been busy doing all that stuff mm. pretty much and just haven't had time to put the gun together. So it's it's not been working for a year. I really have to fix it and go shoot a match or something with it. So I have not been doing that. Uh, I RO'd for a, uh, an ORA CQB match on the weekend, last weekend, which was awesome. We had uh, 32 shooters out. It was a fantastic day. Everything was just fast and smooth, and we wrapped everything up in like, I don't know, three hours. It was ridiculously mm, fast. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. And then I ran a plinking day, just a casual plinking day on the Sunday, again, for the Ontario Rifle Association, and had uh, a husband and wife come out, had a bunch of guys come out with their kids, had one guy bring his whole family out, had uh, people out training for competition, had people out just messing around with their pistols. It was, it was an awesome day. You know, just seeing, like, the actual... You know the firearms community, out the families and the husbands and mm. wives and the the fathers with their kids. It was just like it was it was awesome. It was a really good day. I had a great day. Love that stuff. And uh, that was it. Oh, that's easy. Well, but a fairly slow time. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Uh, what else we got here? Yes. Upcoming events. The Drumheller and District Shooters Association is hosting a. Oh wait. They're doing a Ladies' Day yeah. this weekend. Yes. On August 24th, shooting is from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. There will be giveaways and lunch provided. Cost is 50 bucks, And you can email ddsashooters at gmail.com for more details. 
You do not need a pal to attend either of these events. One-on-one -on -one instruction will be provided at each event as well. And that is an absolutely beautiful range if you happen to be in the Alberta area, southern Alberta, I guess. Um, that is an awesome range. Great place, great people. Highly recommend it. Uh, black badge registration time in New Brunswick. Contact ipsicnewbrunswick at gmail.com if you're interested. And one other one. Uh, actually, I don't even know if it's ready if it's ready to announce yet. They're going to do a Ladies' Day at Chaz in September. That'll be fun. Oh, nice. So if you're in the Edmonton yeah, area cool. and you want to come on out to the... Uh, to Chaz and check it out uh, that Ladies' Day. I think it's in late September. I'm going to be there. Yeah. Nice. I haven't decided to do uh, the CCFR events. Yes. Yeah. Nice. I've been following the uh, the photos from those on Facebook, and it's awesome. Yeah, I haven't That's decided what I want to do. Such a great thing. If I want to like have a like do like a maple seed thing, or do like a pistol, or what I'm going to do, but I'll find out. I'll just nice. be I'll be there anyways. I'll I'll I'll, I'll, I'll be the, the face. Yeah. <laughs> Nice. Maybe I should. Uh, that job. So we have no we want people to come. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, do, do, do. I'll pull up this uh, new gun thing if you're ready. Yeah, absolutely. All, All right. right. Let's see. This is the Maple Ridge Armory has announced that they're doing a slim billet upper receiver. It looks real fancy. Uh, I think if you're looking at this, you should also look at their V1. Is it their V1? M1. V1, V1. Oh, they don't mention... Ah, V1, there we go. Yes, it ma it mates up with their V1 to look uh, seamless. So if you want an upper and uh, upper rail that look absolutely seamless and fantastic, uh, this is oh, your jam. This is not a cheap upper. They're, they're going to be right around $300, but it is real nice and fancy looking. Yeah, their stuff is so pretty. I love their equipment. I got... I'm looking oh. at... I didn't even mention that on the last show, I think. I got a V1 M-Lock uh, oh, yeah? for my AR. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. It's, so it's not nice. from Alibaba. Not from Alibaba. <laughs> I, uh, I'm looking at their uh, their uh, handguards because I need one for my NEA upper, which I'm assembling. But now that I'm looking at the NEA upper and I'm looking at this, I'm thinking maybe I don't want to put my NEA upper together. Mm. Well, maybe I want to throw it in the dumpster and buy something nicer. I don't yeah, know. I mean, the, the the I could say that the difference on the upper, what the AliExpress stuff generally has sharper edges on the uh, slots and whatnot. So, whereas the like the the uh, M lock on the uh, on the Maple Ridge, they're very smooth. So, if you grab onto the uh, the handguard on a lot of the AliExpress stuff, it's very sharp edged versus the yeah. smooth edge on the other ones. Yeah. Fit and finish, but hey, for ten bucks, I hey, whatever. What's what's the V one handguard worth? Uh, Two hundred. Yeah, versus ten. So <laughs> I don't think you can complain. Uh, the next one I have here is uh, I Run Guns. They're they've got some. I just saw these today, uh, actually on Discord, and they've got some custom Glock 17s. These are using Rival Arms upper slides on them, and they're RMR, so they're you can put a, an optic on there. And they've got some real spacey uh, grip designs on them. <laughs> yeah, they've got all sorts of he like hex marks, and they got some like uh, skulls, skulls and crosses, and little triangles and hashes, and all sorts of weird stuff. So, if you want a weird looking Glock, and the slide's got some cutouts on it, so that looks kind of neat. 
Uh, if you want a weird looking Glock that you could put a red dot on, uh, <laughs> that the thing is the price is also really low, like four ninety nine US. What is yeah. that in Canadian? To USD to Canadian is six hundred and sixty three dollars. That's not bad. very not inexpensive for a Glock seventeen in Canada. I uh, I kind of like the way they look. It's uh, it's a little different. They are really interesting. I would say that if if you're well, what did I say? Six sixty. Yep. That's hmm hmm. I mean, the used market is so good on on pistols, so you might want to look at pit those as well. But six sixty for a new kind of new Glock. Hmm. Because your CZP10s are right around five fifty, and new Glocks are what seven hundred, eight hundred, still somewhere Something in there. Like yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Or you could just just wait a week until everybody who buys these ones regret it and then sell them on the E. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. They're very personalized. The 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 I feel like you either love or hate the grip design uh, that you choose. Right. So. I think yeah. that that's a very personal decision. You probably want to pick one that you like, and I don't think that that didn't really look reversible. Was that was that lasered into the grip or something like that, or was it just a stick on? Uh, I don't know. It doesn't look like a stick on. I know with a lot of these custom engraved. It is an engraved grip on there. Yeah. So uh, love it or <laughs> don't buy it. <laughs> love it or list it. <laughs> All right, and we're back live. Okay, so we've got a couple of different people on today. Uh, we've got Kyle, who will be talking about uh, UML. We've got Peter, who will be talking about USPSA multi-gun. And then a little bit later, we're going to be joined by Everett, who's going to talk about uh, Three Gun Nation. Oh, and I think he just joined us. Uh, so maybe uh, right off the hop, thanks for thanks for joining us, guys. And uh, Kyle, if you wanted to just start off, tell us a little bit about uh, UML and what that's all about. Okay, sure. Uh, UML it started probably, I think it was a year and a half, almost two years ago. Pete Rensing I kicked it off. Their main premise, by the shooters, for the shooters. Um, it's like every other rule set. It, it falls around your general same things. There's small differences like when it comes to classifications. And then uh, one of the big points is the stage points, how it's awarded. Mm-hmm. And just they, when they wrote the rule book, they wanted to keep it fairly open. Like if you look through the rubric, it's pretty wide open so that clubs can still still have the freedom to kind of do what they do. Um, yeah, it's just Pete Rensing, when he started it, he saw some holes in some other stuff that he, w- he was seeing and just talking with people and that's where uh, UML was born. It is growing like mad fire down south and you're yeah, just trying to grow it up here. And uh, you're running a match for UML. Is that the first uh, regional match in Canada? Yeah, it's the first sanctioned UML match in Canada, it's uh, level 3, District 15, like I believe uh, BC is District 14, Alberta is District 15, Saskatchewan, and as you go east, this goes up in numbers, and yeah, after talking with Pete, this is the first sanctioned UML match in Canada happening this weekend. Cool. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. Peter, did you want to tell us about uh, USPSA? Uh, Sure. I mean, my history of USPSA goes back quite a few years uh, shooting in the U.S., uh, shooting the multi-gun nationals and stuff. Um, the reason I've sort of support the USPSA rule set is it takes so much of the responsibility and just difficulty away from the match directors and range masters because pretty much anything that can happen is dealt with in that rule book. So the rules are all there. The decisions are all there. It's just a matter of applying it. Um, like Kyle mentioned, UML, the, the 
best thing about UML is the match format, the optional targets. It, it's awesome. But the rule set, in my mind, it's just got to mature a little bit. It's close. It's really close. Cool. All right. And uh, Everett, uh, uh, tell us maybe a little bit about the background on uh, on Three Gun Nation. Well, Three Gun Nation's been around for whew, well over 10 years, I believe now. Mm-hmm. Um, but personally, I've been involved with Three Gun Nation for the last three, three four years. I actually started my, my competitiveness in the sports in Three Gun Nation down south. And I right away, I fell in love with the... The rule set versus USPSA, just for the openness for target trees and the simplistics of the rule set. Mm-hmm. Um, um, besides that, yeah, I mean, like Three Gun yeah. Nation, like really uh, was really popular, right? When you when you think about the popularity yeah. of, of Three Gun and and really what got some early traction. Uh, Three Gun Nation mm-hmm. was really popular. They had like televised mm-hmm. events that uh, that looked really cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I think... I'd, you know, that, I'd never heard about Three Gun until I saw the uh, Three Gun Nation events. I'm like, what is this magic thing? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was fantastic for the for the promotion of the, of the sport early on. And uh, uh, I think there's, there's a couple of Three Gun Nation affiliated clubs in Canada, correct? Uh, yes. In southern Alberta, we have Lethbridge, BTSA, uh, Medicine Hat. I believe there is a club out on Victoria Island as yeah, well. Campbell and River. Campbell, Campbell River. Yeah. yeah. And then I believe a year or two ago, I caught wind of a couple clubs out east in Ontario as well. But interesting yeah i mean um yeah so like we, we kind of have these um i mean really we have a lot of we have a lot of outlaw matches in in three gun across canada and then we also Absolutely. have these uh these three standard rule sets that are out there that are um m- like more or less everyone's everyone's following the same rule set i think one of the things that uh, uh that's kind of holding canada back from like adopting a single rule set all across the board is like there's there's a couple of little things that are uh, different in how you adopt the rule set. Like one example, uh, do you guys allow Larmags in rifles at your matches? Yes, we do. I think pretty much everyone does, right? What about yeah. Beowulf Mags? Absolutely. Or, so Kyle yeah, says absolutely. yes. Everett? Yeah. Yes. Legal, you run it. So those are like, now I've heard of some clubs that don't allow those. Um, but that's that's one uh, interesting thing. What do you guys think? Like it, it, the overall idea of it is, uh, I, I think is is valid. You, you, if it's legal, run it. Um, what if you can't get them though? Because like one of the things that some people have said is that uh, Beowulf mags are hard to get, or those Socom mags are are now. There are they all sold out with Wolverine? I know they got a whole pile of them in. I'm but, not sure. One of the arguments that has been made is that uh, you know it's it's hard to find these things, and uh, you can you can only really find find lar mags uh, legally. So okay. it may be a barrier to uh, uh, to new shooters. What do you guys think about that? Uh, well, I mean, like Aztec Armory imports them all the time. Like you're not going to get them tomorrow. You might have to wait a couple months. But I mean, Az- Aztec Armory imports them all the time. They're, they end up being double pinned. So, but. Yeah, they import. Uh, that's my last batch I got through Aztec, and yeah, it takes a couple months, but come in. Oh, interesting. Okay, yeah. Wolverine still has the 458 SOCOMs in uh, in stock. Okay, yeah. It's one of the things. I mean, design your stages such that there's no 
clear advantage for any particular magazine to get rid of the equipment race? Yeah, I think that's probably the most important thing to think about is how to uh, how to design those stages because we shouldn't have these big hoser spots where you can sit at one spot and you know lay out like twenty rounds. I think that's that's where we hurt the uh, that's where we hurt the the beginner competitor who might be coming to the stage with you know lar mags and, and not Beowulfs or or SOCOM or four fifty eight or whatever, right? Well, same is true. With, with beer. Same is, the same is true with shotgun tubes. Build the stages so there's movement. Build the stages so there's opportunity for reload, and most of your problem goes away. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Yeah, and hopefully uh, something that <laughs> that doesn't make it so that the guys in open can blow everyone out <laughs> with their <laughs> with their pump action shotgun mags on their on their typhoons or their durias, right? Yeah. If you, want to deal, if you want to deal with the open guys, just start mixing birdshot and slugs. They love it. <laughs> Get those candy cane loads. We've been playing with those uh, that that kind of target uh, array at Chaz recently, and it's been uh, it's been really interesting. I got a question for you guys: a slug on a steel birdshot target should it be a penalty, or should it be a stage DQ, or should it be a match DQ? <laughs> Not everyone. I'll go. Yeah, go ahead. I'll go for it. Should be a match DQ because you've got a serious safety issue. Um, that probably that little birdshot target's going to go flying down the range, mm-hmm. but that's probably, you know, we're shooting stuff at close distances based on the fact that you know what's going to happen. That's what the whole thing Now, do you guys mix slug and pa- or paper and steel targets for slug and shot on the same stage? Because I was at a oh, three gun yeah. match. And a ton of people got disqualified from the match in Ipsic 3-Gun years ago because they mixed the targets. You actually had to, like, it was weird. Like, the same stage, you were mixing targets. Some were slugged, some were shot, and you were supposed to load your shotgun to match the stage. But so many, it was bad stage design. Like, the match director got disqualified. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I thought he was being a smartass, but, like, four guys got DQ'd on that that match, including the match director, which was hilarious. But one of my buddies who was shooting his Ipsic qualifier got disqualified as well. I'm I'm all for... Go ahead, Kyle. I'm all for the, the DQ for, like, uh, like there is a UML rule. Like, if you shoot a steel with a slug in less than 45 yards, they actually rule it a 30-second penalty. But if they were wanting to make it a stage or match DQ, I'd be all for it because I'd just treat that the same as a rifle round. Like that, that's Peter's right. Like that, that, you know, you got to draw the line somewhere in that 45-yard mark. I'm, I'm good with that. Mm-hmm. So you said that UML is a 30-second penalty, but it like that's a... Uh... Uh, you would rather it just be a stage DQ? Yeah, well, that's under the uh, expedition because they have a couple different sets for penalties. They have the expedition and then the traditional. So under the expedition, yeah, it's a 30-second penalty if you hit with a slug under 45 yards. A rifle round under 45 yards on steel is a match DQ. You're done. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. that makes sense. What's different between a rifle round under 45 or a slug round under 45? Uh, velocity. Like they're saying basically anything over 1,600 feet per second is a match DQ, anything less than that. Like your typical slugs guys are shooting in competition or running between 12 to that right on that 1,600 feet per second mark. So, I mean, like from from what I've been seeing, like your biggest damage on steel is velocity. I don't even really Mm -hmm. notice any difference on damage on that. Like for for a steel knockdown plate, I don't really notice any damage. Like probably if you shot, shot them a whole pile of times, 
you would start noticing uh, some accumulated damage on them. But um, like one, of, I think one of the one of the reasons why I'm, I'm not like if we design stages that have slug and birdshot targets interspersed and candy caned, you're gonna expect that some people are gonna hit those plates with some slugs, right? It's gonna happen. Yeah. And I, I think yeah. that. Uh, sorry, go ahead. That's what I was gonna say. I was going to say, make sure your transition targets are a little further away and make sure they're safe if someone does accidentally send off a slug. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Safe distances, not having to anything in the way that's going to get destroyed yeah. if a slug hits it. And I'll, I'll yeah. be honest, like, I'll, I'll design a stage and I'll try and put it so that like a slug is at the start of a stage or at the end. So it makes sense that it's at the start or the end of the stage. Yeah, yeah. most people do that. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, I mean that's that is one of the one of the ways you DQ a bunch of people is by having, you know, it's called a candy cane load where you've got like birdshot and slug or sometimes with buckshot uh, mixed in and that kind of thing. Do you guys use uh, buckshot in your in your? Sorry, actually, Everett, uh, we didn't uh, hear from you. What do you think about the slugs on steel? Uh, slugs on steel, we typically have a minimum range for those type of targets, and they're identified slug only. Uh, paper. Paper targets are fully full game with slugs for us. Um, so intermingling slugs and steel knockdowns, yeah, you do run a risk if somebody's really pushing the game. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if they hit that knockdown steel with the wrong wrong ammunition, I'm sorry, you're going home. That's a safety infraction for us. It's it. Everybody's got to go home safe at the end of the day. And the last match I saw, somebody had a strap, a piece of slug, it stuck in their arm. Oh, down boy. south from a slug from seven yards away so at the end of the day it's all about having a safe match and getting everybody home safely afterwards yeah, yeah. we're probably gonna get never won't be another chance to address this but one of the things i've been pushing pete with the uml stuff is to allow slugs on paper well, he's he's got you have to have it written in their stage brief it's just not an open option uh yeah i'm looking for it as an open option because Everything else is optional. It's just the final little tidbit. I think it would be awesome. Slugs are fun. I like shooting slugs. Yeah, slugs on paper are fun too. It's a pain in the butt to patch because you need like a some nice wide tape to <laughs> to use. Yeah, but, but it's satisfying, and you know you hit it because there's a big shining hole <laughs> in the middle, or sometimes two holes with the wad. <laughs> oh yeah, sometimes two. Yeah, holes. yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, okay, well, we're, while we're talking about safety, uh, what about reholstering? Can you reholster a pistol in your in your rule sets, either cold or hot? Pete, do you, uh, Who wants to go first? Peter, do you <laughs> want to start first? Sure, somebody's got to be the bad guy. Um, <laughs> so think of it this way. When the RO tells you to make ready, have you ever heard him say, hurry up and holster that loaded handgun faster? No. Um, it's just an accident waiting to happen. Somebody's going to lose a kneecap or a toe or blow a hole in their leg. Um, I mean, I, I understand why it's there, just not in favor. All right. Kyle? Yeah, I got to say I'm mixed on it. Like The UML rule set does allow, doesn't require, but it does allow hot reholstering of a safe, so your safety has to be on or decocked or whatever. But, yeah, I got to say I, I am mixed on it. I've I've had to, well... Had to, I've hot reholstered on the clock, and I mean, I felt uneasy about it, and yeah, I'm kind of mixed on it. And, and just for our listeners, uh, the di- difference between hot reholstering and cold reholstering, what's the difference there? Uh, hot reholstering, you have a round in the chamber. 
cold reholstering, you have uh, empty chamber. Perfect. And then Everett, what's I mean, uh, as an RO, yeah. sorry, as an RO, I've had guys have ADs in a regular handgun match just holstering their handgun. Mm-hmm. Never mind trying to do it on the clock. Yeah, exactly. Everett, what about uh, what about your thoughts? Uh, we do allow it with the rule set, um, but we do push that it either be cold or if you're not comfortable at all doing or haven't practiced it, just just abandon your firearm safely in one of the dump barrels or dump buckets or just if you're, if you're not okay with it and you haven't trained that way or practiced that way, we don't recommend it. And many, many of the shooters don't use that option, but um, there is a few that tend to, to use it because they have had a shotgun or a rifle go down and instead of taking penalties, they redraw, reload, and finish the stage without penalties. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, I don't really like the safety implications of hot reholstering because of what you guys are talking about on the clock, jamming a, a live gun in, in your holster. There's, uh, there's definitely some risks around that, especially, you know, it's just it's a lot of mental load for a lot of people uh, doing it. Um, cold reholster. Maybe, but like that, then you have to check it at the end, make sure it's clear as you know, clear at the end as well. And uh, there's always the potential for someone to mentally make that mistake, I guess, a little bit less though, right? Because you have that uh, that clear rule in place, but uh, always having that dump station there as well also makes it fairly easy. Just leave your pistol at the thing and <laughs> don't worry about it. <laughs> and going back to what Everett said, um, I've got nothing against somebody going to retrieve an abandoned firearm. Mm-hmm. You know, that's sort of the other middle of the road option. So, yeah. you know, if you're right down, go back and get your handgun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, does does retrieving a a, a previously grounded firearm uh, is that a DQ or is that a a, a penalty in your guys's uh, rule sets? Kyle, did you want to start us off with this one? Sure, and actually, to be honest, I don't actually have the answer for that because I was actually looking this up the other day. I was in a conversation and. That is one thing where, like, I'll go with Peter, where, you know, the, the rule set's got to grow a little bit because they don't actually address that particular that particular situation in the UML hmm. rule set. They identify what an abandoned pistol is, and they basically call abandoned as grounded. And all they say is move away or fire a shot. It's not like some of these other organizations where if you move a meter away or you fire a shot from your next platform, then so I think it's basically written in there that, no, once you've abandoned it, you're, you can't go back and pick it up, but it doesn't state what the penalty is. Hmm. All right. Everett, do you know what the Three Gun Nation uh, rule is on this? Uh, yes. Yeah. So if you abandon your firearm and move to the neck and to pick up your next firearm, before you fire your first shot, you may go back to retrieve that firearm and engage those targets again. But if you fired a shot and then went back, to retrieve that previous firearm, it's a, pretty sure it's a, a hefty procedural. Hmm. I'm just I'm just looking up the the rule right now. Yeah. And then Peter on uh, on USPSA, is there like a three feet rule or something like that for uh, for using a regrand uh, a grounded firearm? Um, one of those things I'm not going to answer because I don't know for certain. I'd have to read the rule book. Mm. I know that there was. Uh, there was some chatter on the three gun uh, Facebook memes uh, <laughs> Facebook group here recently about someone had had put their rifle down on the ground, drawed their drew their pistol, engaged all their pistol targets, uh, 
cold reholstered their pistol and then picked their rifle up and then kept going. So it was <laughs> it was an advantage to uh, to leave the rifle and it wasn't considered uh, uh, discarded or, or, or finished uh, because they were still close to it. So I know that there's something interesting around that rule set there. And I actually recall something on that, Adriel, from uh, USPSA Nationals that uh, as they were guys were doing that, figuring that out, that they could put their rifle down, engage with their pistol, mm-hmm. reholster, and then grab the rifle. But if they moved that, I, I'm pretty sure someone actually got DQ'd because they moved further than that meter away from their gun that they put on the ground. Yeah, that sounds that's that's the instance I'm thinking about here. It's kind of yeah. interesting. I, th- I think that the 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 simplest solution here is allow use of a regrounded firearm. Just throw a procedural or a penalty on it if you want to. Even should there be a penalty for it? Maybe. I don't know. You have a time penalty though going back. I think there should. I think there should be a penalty because you're not allowed to retrieve it. So I think yeah, if you're going to grab it, then like a thirty second penalty for grabbing an abandoned firearm or or just throwing that out there. Like yeah, I think there should be a penalty for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we use a we use a five or a ten second penalty at Chaz, which is punitive enough that to stop people from being at the end of the stage to be like, oh, I forgot this one target over there. I'm going to run back and do it. They're going to be like, nope, 10 seconds, too long. I'm just going to leave it. So I I like that trade-off there. Um, I like the flexibility of, you know, sometimes people get to the end and they, they forget an entire firearm being able to, or, or entire array and being able to go back for it is, uh, is kind of nice. Yeah. Now, um, in terms of safety, uh, what do you guys do with chamber flags, uncasing uh, rifles and shotguns in the parking lot or only at safe tables um, and cart usage. What are, what are some of the, the norms around that? Well, I can say up here, we, we let people uh, unbag right at their vehicles. They can throw it in their baby cart or, or their wagon, whatever. If it's a wagon, like I've seen it where guys will put a buttstock down and their muzzles pointing up and it's like, everybody will look at them like, no, get that down. Uh, you know, guys, all I ask guys is watch your muzzle, even in the parking lot. Just don't flag anyone in the parking lot, and I have no issues with uh, guys unbagging at their their vehicle. Mm-hmm. And then, do you mandate uh, chamber flags if they're in a cart? Uh, no, not as of no. It's either bolt locked back or chamber flag. All right, yeah, that's interesting. And then, what what do you do with uh, handguns, pistols? It stays in the holster until you're on the line, ready to load, or you're safe in area. All right. Can you take your belt off with your pistol in it and throw it in your baby stroller or bag or whatever absolutely i do it all the time i got one of those g-code uh just drop hangers and i unclip it my my pistol never leaves my holster i'm done this course of fire i unclip it it stays in the holster goes into my bag and then i'm not carrying all that weight around all day yeah definitely i i I like that like for ipsic i don't care i'll just wear my pistol and my my uh magazines all day but for three gun like my belt fully loaded is 15 pounds <laughs> so, oh my god it's well i think think of like all the mags shot shells uh handgun like all that stuff off there shadow two three pounds just like hanging off your side it's nice to pull that off and put it to the side uh, somewhere uh so that you can patch and be you know the the good patcher of the day right uh, and, and, exactly. Everett, what's the what's the norm for uh, your matches? Um, as in how we allow everybody to unbag um, at their vehicles, put them in their cards or strollers. Uh, we have an absolute muzzle down because we do have neighbors and a, a drag strip right behind us. So we don't want anybody seeing something or 
thinking of muzzles pointed unsafely at anywhere. Um, chamber flags are an absolute, absolute must for all long guns. It's just a safety. So if the RO looks back, takes a sweep of everybody's firearms, everything's still safe. Nobody's messing around with firearms. Um, if you got to go to a John or on low, we prefer it, your pistols on the safe table mm-hmm. and, and why not? Peter, what about your, uh, your matches that you run? Uh, well, matches I run and also matches I participate in. Um, flags just simply wrong. Everyone knows the condition of the firearm. It's just so, in my mind, mandatory. You've got to have them. And then as far as handguns, like Kyle says, in the holster, the holster is just kind of like a bag, either holstered or bagged. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, uh, do you allow uncasing at the vehicle or, or take it to a safe table and uncase there? We've got the matches we've run here. We had uncasing areas set up. Um, if you allow uncasing the vehicle, just wander around a big match in the parking lot and see how many muzzles you stare down. It's an uncomfortable feeling. Yeah, you guys have a lot of room there, and, and I think with unlimited room, uh, unbagging guns at safe tables is is definitely the way to go. It's easier to do. It's it's safer. Um, it's I think it's it's a challenge on some of the smaller ranges because they don't have the the space to have a, a table at a lot of the bays, and that's why I think that you know you end up with a lot of uh, a lot of these matches where people uncase in the parking lot and then uh, run either muzzle up or muzzle down uh, in between. Well, the smaller matches, you tend to believe you know most people there. Um, the larger matches, you get that unknown factor. You've got no clue who's doing what in the parking lot. Mm-hmm. Well, and I can see where Peter's coming from, too, because you see it all the time. Like, I know like when I handle the gun, like, I know where that muzzle's pointing, but you, you look and it's almost robotic, but you watch some people out there and it's so lackadaisical. Like, yeah, you didn't muzzle a person, but holy cow, like, okay, you watch them and it's, yeah, you didn't muzzle them by two feet, and you, you're not that robotic or deliberate about it. Just too easy. You watch some people and just expecting something to happen. Yeah. One of the most interesting things I've ever participated in was a two-day night match. Mm-hmm. You've got no clue how many guns are pointed at you at any given time. All you can hear is actions closing, and it's just frightening. <laughs> Yeah, I that'd be a little uh, spooky. I hate that noise, that chunk. Oh, mm. Behind the line, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, worrying. All right, well, um, I think we've we've done the safety thing pretty well here. What about uh, what about penalties and uh, and and points and that kind of thing during stages? Because one of the things that I know that's different between the rule sets is the amount of. Uh, the amount of time that we use uh, for penalizing uh, misses and, and FTEs and that kind of thing. Some of them opt for a little bit of a faster style of match. Some of them go for a little bit of a, uh, a, a slower, more accurate style of match. I mean, uh, when I first started doing three gun at Chaz and just shooting the matches, uh, we had a 20 second FTE and that included aerial clays. So you, if that clay gets flipped up in the air and you got a jam on your shotgun, there goes twenty seconds, for example, on uh, uh, on the clock. Which I, I mean, we've we've changed it since then. But uh, what's you guys' thoughts on on penalty times and uh, and and what's what's the right balance there? Adriel, I got to run away. Okay, but I'll give you my part. I'll give you my parting comment. Shoot fast, don't miss. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thanks, Peter. Catch you guys later. See you, Peter. See you, Peter. Yeah, so because I mean, um, one of the things—do uh, you guys do enhanced penalties for spinners and long-range steel and that kind of thing? 
And I assume that are you guys mostly running uh, time plus points and then uh, points on the stage? Uh, UML is yeah. It's it's you got your total yeah your time plus and then points awarded to the stage yeah. Cool. So what's your time penalty, for example, for like a for like a long range steal for fail for failing to engage a long range steal? Is it like ten seconds, fifteen, twenty, thirty? Well, under the expedition rules, so that's the uh, the low penalty, so that's for your more faster matches. Yep. Uh, and in miss on steel, 45 to 100 yards is a nine-second penalty. Uh, over 100 yards under 300 is a 20-second penalty. Ooh. And then anything over 300 yards is a 30-second penalty. And that's on the low-scoring side. Ooh. And if you go to the traditional, uh, less than 100 is 15. 100 to 300 is 20. And then, well, yeah, just looking at it here, they're pretty close. Like, you know, over, beyond 300 is still 30 seconds. So they, your misses on steel are pretty much the same between those two scoring styles. Yeah, those are some stiff penalties on the on the upper end. Yeah, what about, uh, what about in uh, Three Gun Nation, Everett? Uh, from w- 1 to 40 yards, we do 2.5 seconds. Uh, from 40 to 99 seven and a half and anything 100 yards plus it's 10 seconds so okay a little bit shorter penalties so that would likely make yeah. for a, a, a faster stage but uh, not one where people are necessarily pushing for that that max accuracy right yeah what about uh what about an aerial clay miss uh i believe that's 10 seconds for an aerial clay it should be late it should be shorter yeah i'm pretty sure three gun nation is like uh at least it used to I, be I think, like two yeah. and a half or five or something like that I believe it's five. I, Dave Dave likes to do a lot of aerial plays and change it up, but <laughs> <laughs> Kyle, do you he's know what a shot it, gunner. Do you know what it is in uh, UML, Kyle? Yeah, so in the uh, low scoring, it's a four second, and mm-hmm. that's static or reactive. Doesn't matter if you miss a clay; it's that uh, four seconds. And then in the traditional, so your longer courses, it's a ten second. Woo. Yeah, don't want to, don't want to miss that guy. Holy! <laughs> I mean the the interesting the the thing that that does having those long long penalties on on something like uh, like clays is that uh, you really have to think about whether that gun's loaded or not when before you hit whatever's going to flip it up into the air, right? And I mean, um, oh for sure. And sorry, go ahead. Uh, one thing I would say is like when you look at the expedition multi gun and traditional scoring. You gotta look at the the style of your stages. Like the the reason for the, like the two separate ones is so if you got shorter courses where you know you got average of thirty to sixty second times, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I'll use the low scoring. But if you have longer times, that's why they put the stiffer penalties because otherwise you get the longer courses of fire. You end up guys just running past targets because well, it's not worth even trying for that target because the penalty versus engaging it just isn't there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think uh, interesting. I've seen some courses of fire where it was advantageous to not play <laughs> and to just keep moving through. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. Hmm. Uh, I'm trying to think of any other differences between the rule sets. Wh- which ones are the most popular right now? Which ones do you guys see the the most often in terms of matches and in clubs? UML's new. I find I yeah. You. UML is new. Um, up here, you you see guys. Using three gun nation style scoring, I believe Chaz, you guys modeled your uh, re- your rules off of uh, three gun nation. Yeah, they're older. And you see, rule I set. think there's a healthy, especially the uh, 
the major matches, you'll see either USPSA or Three Gun Nation rule sets. Um, I mean, I think for the most part, when it comes down to it, like most of the penalties are pretty much in line with each other. Just subtle differences between them, like what you were starting to talk about with uh, stage points. And now I think that's a big one for as far as what sets UML aside mm-hmm. from like Three Gun Nation or USPSA is just how the stage points are awarded. Otherwise, they're you look at the them and they're pretty much in line. How are the stage points awarded in UML that's different? Uh, so I'll just use the USPSA for example. You got if you win that stage, you're hundred percent hundred percent equals a hundred points. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter how long you shot that stage, you get a if you won that stage, you get a hundred points. So it could be a ten second stage, it could be a hundred second stage. Yep. And everyone's a percentage of that. So UML, if you got a hundred percent and you shot that stage in ten seconds there's only 10 points available on that stage. Ah, I saw that option in practice score. You set the max, you set the points per stage based on the fastest time for the stage, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it just balances out, makes for a tighter race and really balances it out. So like prime example is that 10 second stage where your hundred percent is 10 seconds. If you shot it in 15 seconds, now you've got your 50%, 50 points. Whereas if you were in the UML style of uh, points, Instead of being down 50 points, you're down five points. So like I said, it really tightens up the race and really makes it a real battle. And makes the longer stages worth more than the short stages. Absolutely, because yeah, like 100%, 100 points, your short, fast stage is your most valuable stage. Like you've got to crush that stage, otherwise you could knock yourself out by being five seconds out on a quick 10, 20 second stage. You could knock yourself out of the running just on that one stage. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, Dave, uh, you might not be familiar with this, and, and probably a lot of listeners aren't either, but uh, the old school way of doing three-gun uh, scoring was just on time, time plus penalties, right? So you shot it in 20 seconds, you missed a couple over here, so it's 25 seconds, right? Bob's your uncle, you're done. Uh, the way to do it with points, uh, with points, you're able to not blow out if you have like one bad stage. Uh, so you award a certain amount of points per stage, and uh, that's the maximum you can get. And if you have one stage that's horrible, well, you just lose the amount of... You might zero the st- that stage. You might get zero points for that stage, right? So the advantage is that you don't... You're not out of the game just by having one bad stage. You're still in the game. You still may place somewhere, whereas just time plus penalties is, uh, is a little harder to, to, to get that to happen. Okay, so that's cool. So if you have a gun, gun go down during a stage, you're not hosed for the whole day. You're hosed, not but you're not as badly no. hosed. Yeah, <laughs> not as hosed. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, Wes Stevens uh, at um, oh, this would have been a couple of years ago. I think I, I, I sh- no, last year maybe. I saw him. Sh- I was I was shooting with him, and uh, he staged DQ. So he zeroed one stage, but he did it. The, the rest of his match was so good, and he was really swinging for the fences that uh, he actually, I think, he won limited that year. I seem to remember him placing very well, even though he, he zeroed a stage just because he really swung for the fences on the rest of them. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. Nice. Yeah. Uh, Everett, do you know how they do points uh, for stages in Three Gun Nation? Is it just based off 100 points per stage kind of thing? Yeah. So it's pretty much like USPSA or so many points per stage and your time, um, fastest time will get 100 points and so on and so on. Mm-hmm. Um we tend don't not to use that uh, in Madison Hat. We do have the option. We might start using that for 
point series next year, but right now you're doing time plus points with the available options for using your firearms. You can stay because if we want to see people stay consistent more through a match than, oh, I bombed this stage and now I can, it's, it's not going to affect you as much throughout the stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where points, you can hose the rest of the, the match, come out on top, and, but, do you guys are running total time right now? Yes. I mean, you know, one of the one of the interesting things actually, I ran uh, I ran our last match and I checked it for uh, points total time and then points based on how you were mentioning it, Kyle. You were doing it for UML because we that's that's the way I, we wanted to do it. Uh, so I, I I checked all three. The results did not really change a whole heck of a lot. But uh, one of the reasons why we want to do uh, points per stage and we want the points to be uh, representative of how long you spend on the stage is at Chaz, we got this big shotgun area. We have to, we can use it and we will use it every single time, but it's shotgun only. And the stages are generally short, right? But what we don't want to have happen is uh, just the best shotgun shooters always having this huge advantage, right? So we set our points based on the time on those stages so that it's otherwise, if, if those were each worth 100 points, it would maybe make a big difference maybe <laughs> oh it would absolutely your your top guys would just run away on it yeah and it makes that shotgun uh it would make it too important and i think that uh we like having those shotgun only stages because we have the space for it but um not if they would you be know, that important to the match there. well yeah and like i mean that that basically your match comes down to that one stage that's where i like where every stage is balanced so that it's not like you're not winning or losing the match on one stage you're winning on your consistency through your whole match yeah yeah exactly and i think that yeah i mean doing the doing the the point scoring helps with that and uh it helps keep a tight race as well and makes it so that you don't just have one person run away with it or have you know someone who's a who's a knocking it out of the park lose because they had one stage where you know everything went to hell <laughs> Yeah. which will happen which will happen uh, is there anything else you guys wanted to talk about in terms of the rule sets I've been kind of driving the, the boat here but uh, is there anything else you guys want to talk about um, there was one I was kind of wanting to touch on the classifications oh yeah uh, I know like three three gun nation has classifications like your pro semi pro and uh, so does UML I'm pretty sure USPSA does I'm not familiar with them though they have in but, pistol uh, they have like your C B A master grandmaster yeah yeah I, I for some reason I thought they had it in you in their uh, multi gun but yeah I'm not up and up on that but uh, I, I think like between three gun nation and UML there's a major difference on how your uh, actual shooter classification is awarded so how are they how are they done in UML uh, UML it's uh, basically it's it's based on your real world performance so it's your uh, your it's still a percentage. So you're still ranked on percentage, like 50 to 60, 60 to 70, 70 to 80, 90 to 100, as far as your pro, semi-pro, expert, sharpshooter, marksman, and then rookie go. Like anything under 50% is considered rookie. Mm-hmm. And then it just goes by 10 percentile marks after that. And then it's based on your actual match performance. So there's no classification stages or anything like that. It's just they have it split to uh, level one, two, three and four level matches. And so depending on the level, you get classifications. So uh, level one, you need four matches to have 
four level one matches to get a classification. And you take your average of those first four matches and you get your classification. Level two, you need three matches. Level three, you need two matches. And then level four, one one level four match and you have your classification. Hmm. So you could be a pro at your level one, but then you go to a level four, like say Safari Land or Surefire, one of those big matches down in the U.S. And I mean, like, let's just say like most of us up here we're not going to be shooting a pro level down there but our level one matches up here pretty sure everybody on this podcast is probably going to be at that semi-pro to pro level mm-hmm. for our local just our small local matches and so you could be a higher level at a lower one and then like i'll be honest like i'm a sharpshooter at a level four i went and shot safari land missed out on my expert ranking by two percent Mm-hmm. And so I'm a sharpshooter in, in UML for level four, and that funnels all the way down. So now because I had attained that in my level four, everything else, because that's my highest and really my only classification, it funnels down. Now, if we start shooting level one matches, I get pro. I'll be a pro at level one. It doesn't funnel up. It just funnels down. But it's always based on your real-world performance in a match. Oh, I like that because, um, like, one of, the, one of the things in, in Ipsic is that they ha- they've got these classifier stages. If you get really, really, really good at that stage and you knock it out of the park when you shoot it, you can be classed very high. You could, you could like, master, grandmaster, but maybe can't actually lay that down uh, consistently, right? Whereas that real world, yeah. like what you're saying is, uh, it would be very hard to sandbag with what you're talking about. You go to a big match, a big major match, and you do this level, that's your level. You can't go now go to your locals and do a bunch of level ones and now be considered better than that because you are you shot the big match and you, you, you were measured at this level, right? Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, like a prime example... So like at their well this weekend at our UML match, and I I anticipate a couple people kind of giving a side eye because I'll be shooting at that sixty to seventy I'll be shooting for that sixty to seventy percentile mark and I yeah I I expect a little side eye like shouldn't you be at least an eighty or higher but no I actually have that classification and it just funneled down yeah well it's you know the the bigger matches in the states are more the world stage whereas our you know our local alberta ones we're probably good for canada <laughs> but for canada well, about <laughs> canada famous yeah canada famous good canada pro canada but not uh, but not pro us or north america <laughs> or, or world right <laughs> how are the uh, how are the classific- classifications done for uh, three gun nation uh for three gun nation it's based on shooting classifiers so example like ipsic where you have your stage you shoot as close as the as a pro would they have a standard time closest to that you're you're ranked and after they take your four best stages and give you a rank and but you can always improve um it does leave a lot to be desired because like you said you can practice those stages repetitively hit those stages out of the park but when you get to a match you're you're the bottom 10% and you don't perform. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do like the way the classification is for UML. It is real world progress. You have to perform on the spot, just not something that you practice 50 times by yourself on the range and then go to the match and bang it out of the park. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, fantastic. You know, uh, guys, one of the things that, uh, uh, that I really in, enjoyed about this talk was that uh, we got a really good 
lay of the land for for all these uh, these three rule sets. I think that um, you know in Canada here, if we're going to pick what, what's the most uh, popular rule set, outlaw, outlaw three gun would be the most popular, uh, <laughs> which is not a real rule set uh, in Canada. And I think that uh, it would be to our advantage if more of the outlaw matches went to a recognized. Uh, rule set because uh, one it makes it easier for shooters to move between clubs and and shoot other clubs matches uh it makes it more competitive it makes it also uh probably ups the safety and ups the um professionalism of the sport as well when we uh when we start moving to these more standardized rule sets so hopefully uh hopefully we've got some listeners who are uh are thinking about doing their three gun or maybe they're maybe they're um on the board at their their three gun uh, group and they can uh, they can look to adopting one of the uh, one of the three gun rule sets that we've talked about today. So thanks again for coming on and uh, and laying down the knowledge bombs because I learned a whole bunch about uh, about these different uh, rule sets today. Thanks guys. Yeah, very cool guys. Thanks. Yeah, it was great to be on. Thanks for having me. Awesome. And uh, which Sounds where good. where can Thank people you find your uh, your matches? Where can people get to your matches? Find them? Register for them? Uh, so a lot of our stuff is either uh, on. W- Facebook Wapiti Three Gun, or uh, you can, there's also we cross advertise Wapiti Three Gun and Mighty Peace Three Gun, as well as we do post in Grand Prairie all our matches on practice score as well. Awesome, Everett. Everett, uh, we post ours on our local club website. Um, our calendars, uh, we post ours at the beginning of the year, so it's always on our we- local website. Uh, I try to get all the matches out on Facebook and push them out to all the clubs all the club Facebook pages. Um, yeah. Uh, practice score, they're always lined up with the same time in January. So they're all there. Awesome. I'm pretty sure Peter's matches Ooh. are on uh, practice score and he promotes his stuff as well on the uh, uh, Saskatoon gun range Facebook group, right? Uh, Saskatoon rifle yes. and revolver club. Yes. Yeah. I, 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 in large, in the large part, you find out about these matches on Facebook and then you register on practice score when they come around, or you, you might be able to find them on on practice score, especially if you're in the Western Canada, (laughs) there's, there's a lot going on. We've got like a match per weekend through the whole summer. Yeah. And, uh, it's very easy to find a match out here. Three gun Mecca. Three gun. Yeah. I find, I find I'm like, so fortunate. 30,000 kilometers this year. Oh boy. I mean, just being in Edmonton, I'm super fortunate because I could I could drive to any of your matches. I could drive to Grand Prairie to a match. I could drive to Medicine Hat to a match. It's uh, it's very much Alberta centric, and even Saskatoon is uh, is only a five hour drive away. So it's kind of interesting that they're they're all kind of focused around Central Alberta here. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's good though. I mean, it's uh, it's a really cool sport, and uh, I'm glad you guys were on to uh, talk about these different rule sets and uh, let us know more about them. Thanks for coming on. Sounds good. You want to drop down the listener feedback? Yeah, you bet. All right. Uh, let's see here. From Jay. Dear wise men and woman. Well, wise woman. I don't know about wise men, but thank you, Jay. Of Slamfire Radio. I meditated on your shotgun guidance and went for Benelli Supernova. I'm so I'm very pleased so far. I now have the opportunity to go deer hunting this fall. This deer spot was described to me as rich in natural obstacles and where visibility corridors will not exceed 50 yards. It's an old orchard. Since my gun budget this year will not allow me a rifle, I plan on using my supernova with slugs, most likely foster type, because I have a smooth bore. 
I still have to test what slug produces the best accuracy, but before I put both my shoulder and wallet through that painful ordeal, yeah, I wanted to know if any of you have experience with rifle choke tubes. Do they help stabilize a slug? Would you recommend one? If not, what choke constriction would you recommend for slugs? Also, would you consider that a low recoil or target 12-gauge slugs has adequate terminal ballistics to humanely dispatch a white-tailed deer at 50 yards or less? Most of the brands that have a managed or low recoil option seem to gravitate towards one-ounce projectiles at velocities around 1,200 FPS. Thanks again for your wisdom, Jay. Hmm. What do you think of that one, Andrew? Uh, I would say at 50 yards, you uh, anything will do anything i think the most important thing would be to make sure that whatever you choose to actually like get get to the range at that distance and put some shots on paper and see where you're hitting i would probably use as close to a cylinder bore as i can but those like those lead foster type regular boring old slugs you can shoot them through tighter chokes like i shoot i shoot mine out to a modified i've shot i've shot slugs through a full choke on my shotgun and if you think about it, a lot of those older shotguns, they would be fixed choke. A lot of them were fit, uh, full, and people would shoot slugs through them all the time. Never a Sabo or anything like that, but like a Foster type, very frequently. Yeah. Um, but like if I had my choice and I was going for accuracy, I wouldn't want to overly constrict it where I didn't need to. I'd go for cylinder IC at most kind of a thing. I don't think I would do the rifled choke just because it doesn't matter at 50 yards. Um, yeah. And... I would not choose a low recoil one just because you're going to make one shot. You might as well make it count and uh, you might as well like thump that deer good. Yeah. yeah the low recoil will probably do it. Like 1200 FPS with a, a one ounce slug is, is going to do some damage, but yeah, you might as well. Yeah, yeah. You might as well go for like just a regular, uh, regular velocity slug. And I would, uh, the important thing here would be to get to a range or get to somewhere where you can shoot on paper. Some ranges don't let you do shotgun on paper. Um, so there's that to consider as well. Uh, Usually I find like, uh, when I'm ROing for one of ours, if people bring their own target backers, mm -hmm. fill your boots. You can't shoot our target backers with them. That would be, that would be a reasonable approach to it. Um, and some ranges would have a reasonable approach to it. Some of them would limit you to certain ranges and that kind of thing. But if you can get, if you can get that shotgun with the slugs you want to hunt with and shoot some stuff on paper at 50 yards and see if you can keep those shots within like a six inch circle, good to go. I think it's just, it's important to shoot it at 50 because some shotguns, they'll shoot their slugs really high at 50 yards or some of them might be to the left or right. Like with my mod choke in my, uh, in my browning i shoot about a foot left at 100 yards level level vertically but a foot left and if you change the choke out changes where it hits so uh practice on paper because especially he's going to go hunting right i shoot three guns so i just i just throw more slugs who cares (laughs) oh that one that one went left i guess i'll just wing a couple more at it and just pay attention where they're going it's not a big deal but very important to get the actual ammo and gun out of the ranges you're going to shoot in practice. I know guys who who hunt, but they only shoot at 25 yards, and then they'll go hunt at 100. I mean, where's your gun hitting at 100? You you don't know. I mean, you think you know, but eh, maybe. Yeah, or like shoot a milk jug at, at 100, and uh, as soon as you get a hit, it's like, well, good to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but like at, at 50 yards or le- less, anything will do the trick, and uh, slugs will do it. Just make sure that you've you've done that practice. 
Um, you may want to practice how you're going to shoot too. So if you're going to be, did he say how he's going to be shooting? He didn't say if he's using a stand or not, or how he's how he's going to be set up. Orchard. I would practice how you're going. Like get it, get get a good rest and shoot to so you can see what the gun's going to do. And then I would practice how you plan on shooting. So if you're going to shoot seated, I would take some shots seated and see if they'd go any different. And I would take take some shots standing as well if you're going to take a standing shot. And wear the same uh, what are the same gear you're going to be wearing when you're hunting as well. Yeah. So if you're wearing a vest and a jacket, make sure you wear that when you're at the range. Yeah, if possible. I when I hunt, it's like it's sometimes it's minus twenty, so there's there's no way I can practice that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah but I think I, I think a shotgun will do fine for fifty yards. I think that's that's great. I think a slug will do it, and uh, it's a good shotgun to do it with too. Benelli Supernova, nice. Very nice. Yeah. All right. Uh, next feedback is from Blaze. Uh, good evening, Slamfire crew, longtime listener, first time writer. Thanks for writing. I'd like to hear what your favorite lube for guns that is. Is that's an awkward sentence, but okay, we'll go with that. Also very awkward. <laughs> Seems like every other week there is a new one, and recommendations recommendations range from motor oil to super duper aerospace, fifty cents vials of pure platypus earwax. I'm looking to get better at taking care of my guns, as most of them are lubricated by their own carbon and fouling. That actually <laughs> lubricates very well. Well done. Thanks for the show. Enjoy every minute that I have a blaze. I use CLP. I use CLP on everything. I have bottles here of fancy, super-duper platypus earwax. I'm going to use that, by the way. Thank you, Blaze, stealing that. And I've never found that any of them lubricate my, my gun any better than my stupid little bottles of CLP. And years ago, from Canada Ammo... I bought about six of those, and Whoa. I'm still getting sick. I know, how right? Much, how much do those bottles hold? Uh, eight fluid ounces. I've got six of them. Oh, yeah. So that was about 10 years ago. I have six left. <laughs> like, I have used, I think, about a quarter of one, maybe half of one of those bottles. And I use that stuff for everything. I use it for locks. I use it for hinges. I use it to loop everything that I own. Not for that, though. I'm not a person. <laughs> Hopefully but not. It, uh, it does work well for everything else. <laughs> and, you know, I got guys that come out to matches. And I, remember that frog lube was a big thing a couple of years ago? Oh, and got yeah. Baking their guns in the oven and doing all this crazy crap. Mm-hmm. And then we have them come out to matches where it's like minus 20. They go to chamber the round. You watch the bolt go. Because <laughs> it's all gooped up. CLP works. And it's cheap. And it's not. I love it. It's not coconut oil or uh cooking oil like some yeah, of the other ones yeah. we found to be yeah. Why not? it does stink i mean coconut oil is nice smells good when it heats up but eh, clp it's great cleans it up i clean the guns with it too just put on a cloth give the gun a wipe down it's great love this yeah. stuff yeah probably cut cancer but oh well whatever yeah no, everything does i mean i think that um Aside from the smell, they're all going to lubricate just fine. Personally, I, I use the synthetic motor oil for just for lube. I don't use it for like storing for long term or anything like that, and it works fine. And and I mean, every anything will work fine for for a short term. Like keep, keep in mind, we're end consumers. We're just regular civilians uh, shooting these things. And uh, I go to the range and I do some shooting and I come back and I put my I put my gun in a safe where it's not going to be humid and. Uh, it's going to be fine. And I don't, you know, go years without uh, cleaning it. I'll clean my guns when I think they need cleaning and I'll re-lube them. And it doesn't really matter what kind of, like, I, I'm con- I'm con- uh, convinced I could use any lube in my guns and it would work just fine. And there would be no, 
appreciable difference in uh, in how they operate or how reliable they are. Um, for my stuff that I leave a little bit longer, I, I go the CLP route as well. Um, and then, I mean, you could always use like hops number nine and that kind of thing. And then that's at least smells good. At least I think it smells good. Oh man, they made that as a, uh, as a perfume. You I use it for my, my beard trimmer. You know, I need, I need to oil it and I, I drop a, <laughs> put a little drop of hops on there every once in a while. <laughs> nice. This is actually one of the very few gun related things I've ever won. I won that from Slamfire like about a million years ago. Oh yeah. Remember the slipstream Slip giveaway? Yep. 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 I used it to lubricate a door on my house, and I've never used it for anything since. So. I bet you Anybody that that see? door hinge is probably like silent for years, right? Yeah, it's pretty smooth. <laughs> <laughs> but I've never actually used it on a gun, so I don't know. Hmm. I bet it would work fine. So I mean, I guess like the the long story short for 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 me and you, it sounds like just anything will do the trick. Yeah, I, I've What's used that? I've used motor oil before. That's Duralube. I don't even know if they sell this stuff anymore. It's a it forms a coating on the metal, and I've got a buddy who's I, I don't use this stuff. Is anymore. it a grease? It's not a grease. It's a lubricant and protectant, and it's it's like a like a it's a little bit thicker than a motor oil. Like it feels like a thick motor oil, hmm. but you uh, you put that stuff on anything and just rack the crap out of it. I've got a buddy who uses it, puts it on his guns, and he just spends hours racking them. And it for- supposedly it forms a coating on it, and it's very smooth afterwards. You can actually feel it. How it runs really cold, I don't know. Hmm. He's worth by it. I don't know. I wonder if that's real or not. I know with, with uh, molybdenum uh, greases and that kind of thing, that comes with the molly will like get into the pores of the metal, and that will help lubricate it, as you've. but you need the grease and, and whatnot on there as well. Yeah. Um, but that stuff is gray and you can't really tell if it's carbon fouling or not so you usually like wipe it off so i don't know i, I use grease on the odd thing like if, if you're gonna have like an m14 or, or an m1 grand there's a couple of parts on there that uh, grease is better than oil man your rollers yes but oil is also pretty good put, yeah i've seen a few guys put grease on the uh, bolt lugs on some of their bolt guns as well and they swear by that I don't know. I've I've never bothered with grease because I've seen way too many people have problems with the grease picking up the everything and then just staying in the gun or freezing or. Well, know, that's cool. yeah. I mean, if if um if I didn't lube or if I didn't clean my guns as often as I did, I would probably have to use less lube and grease because right now, if I take my AR to the range and I'm going to go do a match or something like that, I lube the crap out of it. And, and it collects dust, and it collects carbon, and it, and it all cakes up in, in the oil, but I don't care because I get home, I clean it off, and it's not a big deal. But if I was to, if I was to go out to the bush and, like, and live out there as a, as a wild man for, uh, for years, I would probably use less oil on my stuff because I don't want to have to clean it that often. Yeah, I don't. I don't lube everything a lot. My Air 15, I run it wet. Like I pretty much dip the bolt in oil, and um, it they run great when they're wet. That gun likes being wet. Mm-hmm. Um, my bolt guns, I just like give them a little wipe down, and that's about it. They don't need very much. Yeah, just to pistols, just, just to rust off them. Yeah, and pistols, I just lube, drop on the barrel, drop on the uh, on the the hood, and then uh, a little bit on the rails, and it's fine. 
Now, if I shoot in the winter time, like if I'm doing a, a November or December three gun match and it's cold, like minus twenty Celsius or so, I will wipe all like I will wipe all the visible oil off. So there, there's there still will be a film on there, but very light because any thickness there, and it'll start like slowing things down when it gets down to that minus twenty or so. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. I've I've never shot a match when it's been that cold. It's, I don't like sticking to my guns. It's very interesting because uh, you find out which, like, you, you assume, like, all the guns are supposed to be reliable, right? But then you shoot it in minus 20. Minus 20 is, is pretty bad. Pretty hard on guns. Pretty hard on semi-auto shotguns, especially. Semi-auto shotguns, it seems, are uh, uh, this close from not cycling on, on the best of days. <laughs> and uh, any, of your, any of your pistols that aren't, uh, that are, are tightly clearanced, like Shadow 2s, Shadow 1s, you put too much lube on those things, and they slow right down. The Glocks and all that kind of stuff work just fine, though, even in the cold. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I, have a, I have a sloppy 1911, and I have fired it in the cold. I haven't shot a match, but I fired a couple hundred rounds out of it one day in the cold. But you can grab the slide, and like it moves. Probably fine, and, then. Uh, yeah, ran great. It's awesome. Oh, the firing pin channel on AR-15s. That will freeze up if it's full of lube, full of oil, and uh, you get some water in there. Uh, that will freeze up. I've seen that several times in, in really cold weather. You pull the trigger, you hear a click. They rack it, click, rack it, and they're they're racking out like live rounds. They just they, the the hammer is striking, but it's going nowhere. <laughs> do you lube your uh, firing pin your air? You better do. I lube everything, man, because yeah. I want it, like at the end of the day when I take it home. If it's been lubed and it's all carboned up, you just wipe it and it comes yeah, right I'm off, perfect. right? If it's dry, yeah. then you get hard carbon that cakes on there and it can be a little bit harder to, to get off in some parts. Yeah, firing pin, I always put a little bit of light oil on. I know some guys who, who are very meticulous about making sure it's not lubed. They like their hmm. firing pin dry. I don't know. Yeah, if it was cold, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. All right, I think we've done the, the lube discussion to death. Yes, henceforth to be known as the pure platypus earwax discussion. That's what I will call it from now going forward. Uh, oh, I guess I should mention that listener feedback was brought to you by Armory DC Gunsmith, a full-service gunsmith who specializes in firearm refinishing and is a super cool dude. He offers hot bluing, parkerizing, and Cerakote finishes, as well as wood refinishing. Check out his online inventory of new and used guns, firearms, accessories, optics, and more at dcgunsmith.ca. You can also follow him on Facebook at a link that I can't pronounce, but you can just Google him and you will find Go Go from his website. Uh, it's French and stuff. So, If you'd like to email the show, send email to slamfire at gmail.com. Uh, podcast app reviews. One iTunes review for Slamfire from a couple days ago from GCP002. Thank you very much. Canadian. Title, great show. Review, got my R-Pal about a year ago and have since been seeking content in all things guns. Great podcast. Informative and fun. I've learned a lot about specific firearms as well as Canadian gun culture and politics. Definitely worth a listen, Gavin. Thank you, Gavin. Cool, yeah. I'll take the next one. Sure. Next one's from Canadian Limey. Uh, this is from Canada, five stars. Title, entertaining and informative. He must not have listened to that many then. Uh, review. <laughs> I've only been listening for the past six months ago. Ah, see? <laughs> but I really enjoy the show and its content. From Trevor's one-hour-long What I Did in Guns, which, by the way, is one of the best parts, strangely. Adriel's reviews and comments are great as well, and uh, as well informative, despite laughing at his own jokes, which I will do con- and continue to do. Jokes. Mm-hmm. How does he know they're funny if he doesn't? 
Uh, <laughs> Kelly's awesome and deserves a medal for putting up with Trevor. Love hearing about True. Maple Seed and her passion for the sport. There's another guy, can't remember who, McFly maybe? Anyways, despite not being an Ipsic shooter or a three gun, it's a joy to hear about them. Keep up the great work, guys. Scott from Niagara. Awesome. Thanks, Scott. Yeah, thanks. Keep on going. I'm scrolling. Scrolling, scrolling. All right, there we go. Shoutouts. Uh, any shoutouts, Adriel? Oh, none that I can think of. Thanks, Ian, for loaning me your Ruger PCC. I'm done the review, and I can mail it back to you. <laughs> There's my shout-out. Or you could mail it to me. Just saying. Actually, he did That's say That's the wrong mail. way. That's that, <laughs> I'm supposed to mail it west, I think, not east. No, go, go east, young man. Go, go east. east. If you go far yeah, enough east, east, it'll end up in the west. <laughs> That's true. Uh, shout-outs to Ryan and Kyle, two of my buddies who got their R-Pals finally, and one of the first things they did was pick up AR-15s, so welcome to the club. Mm, that nice. is excellent. Yes. Yeah. And uh, shout-out to... Uh, uh, I can't remember who else, so next. <laughs> I was thinking somebody, but I don't remember who it was. Cool. Uh, <laughs> excuse me. Uh, fail on my mic mute. Uh, Patreons, Patreon supporters, new Patreoni is Blaze M. Uh, happy being a dad. too. Yeah. 357. Nice. Good caliber. Good donation. Happy being a new dad. Congratulations and thank you, Blaze. Uh, Patreon supporters, you should have received patches in the mail. If you've not received yours in a month, please send us an email. And if you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash slamfire radio. And I've been real good with getting patches out. All under a month. Nice. <laughs> they're not instantaneous, but they're under a month these days. Under a month. That's, Excellent. that's, that's better than uh, than I uh, than I have been in the past. Uh, thanks to our guests for showing up today. Thanks to everybody for listening to the show. Uh, if you're interested in supporting the show, again, patreon.com slash slamfire radio. You can also visit our website, uh, slamfireradio.com. You can click on the links for Cabela's. They throw us a shekel or two when you uh, purchase anything following that link. As well, please join one or more of our national firearms associations, such as the CCFR, for they are awesome. You can check us out on Gun Owners of Canada, and you can like us on Facebook. So if you have any comments or questions for the show, please send an email to slamfireradio at gmail.com. Now go grab a gun and shoot something. When the talking is over, it's time to get a gun.